Blowing Smoke with Twisted Rico is brought to you by Light Street Media. This show is supported by Joe's Albums in their two locations, the original store at 317 Main Street in downtown Worcester, Massachusetts, and their second location at 5 Market Street in one of my favorite places, Northampton, Massachusetts. Joe's has an amazing collection of both new and used vinyl and a bunch of other goodies. It wasn't too long ago that I bought a friend a David Bowie t-shirt and a mug at Joe's. And don't forget to check out joesalbums.com if you're really want to geek out. This show is also supported by my good friend Zach Shell and his family at Baby Loves Tacos, located in 4508 Liberty Avenue in the Bloomfield section of Pittsburgh, PA. Baby Loves Tacos is one of the best places to eat some of the best Mexican-style food this side of the Rio Grande, and they also do catering. Head over to their website, babylovestacospgh.com, for all the goods, and if you're in a band, like many of my listeners are, and you're on tour, don't hesitate to stop by Baby Loves Tacos in Pittsburgh and tell them Twisted Rico sent you. Baby Loves Tacos, where everybody eats. Introducing Spectacle, the ultimate eyewear experience. We offer a carefully curated collection of logo-free frames, so the focus is on you. We're located at 505 Tremont Street in Boston's historic South End neighborhood. Keep in mind that we only look expensive. Hope to see you soon, and enjoy the day. Welcome to Blowing Smoke with Twisted Rico. I'm your host, Steve Ricardo. That song was called No Such Thing. I love that song. It's Alice Austin. I 
love that song. It's one of those songs that hit me hard the first time I heard it, and I've been listening to it regularly ever since. It's been out for like probably a year now, and I really, really dig it. Uh, really good. Alice is so cool. She's been on my radar for a long time. The band Zola Turn from Burlington, Vermont, caught my attention in the 90s. And then I followed her, you know, after that. And she joined, she started a band called The Lavas in Boston. They were a really, really good band, a little heavier than Zola Turn. And then her solo work is kind of you know, some of it's all country, some of it's poppy, some of it's alternative, some of it's psychedelic, like the track you just heard. And then I hear one day that she joined Black Sabbath. And all you regulars know how much I love Black Sabbath. And she does a great job singing all the Aussie songs in the band that call themselves the all-female Black Sabbath and we do talk about Black Sabbath in the interview, which we had to because when she did the Zoom call with me, she was in the UK on tour with Black Sabbath. And uh, I don't know if you've ever checked them out, but if you haven't, they have some good stuff online, including the backyard sessions that they did, which I love because... I find out in the interview, the lemon trees that the band's playing under, the drummer, Angie especially, is in Alice's yard. She has lemon tree in her yard. If that doesn't, if her music didn't get me to fall hard, the lemon trees did, because you know how much I love lemons. So one particular track that they played under the lemon tree was The Wizard. And I brought that up because Alice plays harmonica on that. And, and I asked her about harmonica. She goes, I don't know how to play harmonica. And I'm like, you did a pretty good job on that track. So check that out. You can find that video on YouTube. It's really good. Uh, following the Black Savage tour, Alice does have some solo dates booked, including one at the porch in Medford, Massachusetts, which is right next to Somerville, right outside of Boston, on Thursday, June 22nd. I am going to try and make that one. She'll probably be playing songs from her new album that's coming out this summer called Break the Spell. So she's got a lot going on. She's totally cool, and I love talking with her. And here we are. Enjoy. Well, hello. All right. <laughs> Hi, Steve. So you're in the UK right now uh, on tour with Black Savage. Yeah, yeah. We played in London last night in Camden Town at Under Underworld. I was wondering if you, I'm going to talk to you later about Black Savage, but I was wondering before, I was wondering if any members of the band ever showed up in any of the shows? Uh, yeah, yeah, of course. Really? Like yeah. what? Yeah. Oh, 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 I see what you're saying. No, Black members Savage. of Black um, <laughs> um, no, no, we actually played, it was maybe 2018, my first year with them. I remember meeting, um, we, we played at a Shepherd Ferry art opening that it was like a, a Black Sabbath kind of tribute sort of uh, art show. And I met Bill Ward there. Nice. So that was really cool. But that's the closest it's been. Yeah. I was just curious if Tony Iommi was standing in the background going, hey, guitar player is pretty good. <laughs> no, I think, no, they know about us for sure. But um, yeah. yeah, I don't I, I don't think they're really up to going to many shows these days. Yeah, I, 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 I wouldn't think At so. little clubs. Yeah. yeah. So that'd be so, nice, but. So before we talk about your current stuff and, of course, your upcoming album, uh, Feel Too Much, and the three singles that you've released so far, I want to go all the way back to Vermont, if you don't mind. Sure. <laughs> I love, love going back to Vermont. Uh, you grew up right in Burlington? No. Uh, so I grew up in a town called Bakersfield, which is north, far north, west. And then I was in Burlington after I went to the University of Vermont. So I was in Burlington then. So when you were growing up, I mean, was your family into music? It sounds like it was probably a rural area you grew up in. Very, yeah. Yeah. Farmland. Was your family into music? And how did you, like, do you remember the first things you started listening to that got you interested in music? Yeah, for sure. Uh, definitely a musical family. My my mom and dad both played and sang 
uh, in various bands at first together and then separate bands. And uh, my my dad was a recording engineer as well. So there was oh. a lot of bands coming coming by his house and he used to give me little jobs to make me feel like I was doing something like like press this button or tur turn this knob that wasn't like attached to anything. <laughs> uh, and he did a little bit of live sound as well. So uh, yeah, besides them being influences on me, it was just kind of being, being in clubs at a, at a young age and like, you know. Was there a recording? Was there a recording mm -hmm. studio at your house or did he have a recording studio? Did he work at a recording studio? Yeah, he he had a just a really small. Uh, it was like a, a one inch tape kind of situation in the house, on the in the basement floor was kind of converted into a recording studio just for local bands. I mean, it was really a hobby. So, as far as listening to music, do you remember what you were hearing when you were a teenager? Say. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, there's always everybody has their parents' music and then their music that their parents hate. Uh, so the things that I liked from my my parents were were was um, some of the classics. I mean, I remember my dad testing out a uh, like surround sound system mm -hmm. <laughs> and sitting on the floor as a tiny baby and hearing like I don't know. We listened to some pretty psychedelic stuff. We listened to the Moody Blues and Pink Floyd. Um, and then, you know, later, later when he started teaching me guitar, we, you know, we listened to a lot of Dire Straits and he would slow it down on a reel to reel so I could uh, learn it. Like learn reel to reel. That kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. So were they um, one of your early favorites, Dire Straits? Yeah, definitely. Um, and then my mom's influence was a lot more jazz oriented and she was in a, she was in her longest standing band was a sort of a jazz soul kind of big band. And she was one of the singers they were, they were, they did a lot of three and four part harmonies. Uh, so that was really educational and fun for me as well to learn. Cause I used to just sort of be in my room and hearing them and picking out the harmonies. Now I know you have a sister that you played with. Was, was it just the two of you or were there more family members? There is the two of us, and I have two half brothers on my father's side, um, and they were both musical. And now they're kind of doing other things. I'm trying to rope my the older of the two back into music. <laughs> oh, cool! Nice. Yeah. <laughs> now um, I know about Zola Turn. A lot of people do. They're a really good band. Was that your first band? It was the first the gigging band. Yeah, yeah. I, I did a couple. You know just stupid things growing up. I had a whole bunch of bands. I had like high school bands. Um, I played a couple when I was in, at Northfield Mount Hermann. I, you know, I was in private school. Um, there was, I played in like a Grateful Dead cover band uh, called the Lee Waters Band. And then Dr. Fig and the Newtons, I was the second guitar player. Uh, and we just did like school functions and that sort of thing. So We're going to get into this later, but you are like so diversified with your music. You're like all over oh, the yeah, map. I know. Everyone yeah, was yeah, telling yeah. you that you're all over the map, but that's really, I find it interesting. I was reading something yeah. that said something weird, like the two most popular bands ever from Burlington were Zola Turn and Fish. I thought that was really funny when I read that. Because uh, I know yeah. you guys were pretty popular there. Now, you put out like four records, right? Uh, with Zola Turn? Yeah. I, we I, did, we, yeah, we did like a seven inch, a cassette, and then two full length albums. Yeah. Cousin Batty and Queen Tangerine were the full lengths, right? No, well, so. Oh. I can't remember to be honest. <laughs> I think well, Queen Tangerine was a different band. That was like a interim band. It was sort of half of Zola Turn and then half of oh whatever was on the way. Yeah. Oh, I didn't uh, know that. I thought that was a Zola Turn record. Sorry, but you guys. Yeah, were, no, that's all right. You guys were around for like seven years, though, right? Yeah. I'm yeah. asking you questions that you're having trouble remembering, which I can understand because you've done such so a blur, much. Yeah. You've done so no, much. It's cool, to 
it's pretty cool to think about it yeah well they were popular band because that's how i first found out about you is i heard zola turn and i was like wow this band's really cool um how and when did you realize from that time that you wanted to get a more heavier sound going? Because the lavas were way more heavier, I thought, than Zola turn. Yeah, thanks for doing your research. That means a lot to me. It's sort of like I've had so many band name changes and like slow evolution that you, I mean, it, it sort of seems like I just kind of popped up with these last albums. But um, I've always had, you know, people kind of wonder like, why are you doing the synth pop thing? And you also have like this Black Sabbath thing. To tell you the truth, like where it all started was the first music that I found for myself that I really loved was Ozzy. Mm. And a lot of that was because I just, you can't really explain it. I just had that like visceral response to it. And the other part of it was that I could sing in his range and I always loved singing more than playing guitar or anything. And so the fact that there was some rock and roll that I could actually sing without having to change the key uh, was just, it was just infectious to me. So um, there's always been that heavy element. And then also Joan Jett really got me when I was a teenager. I was like, oh, <laughs> I just, you can't, you just can't explain it when that happens. Um, that's a good combo, Ozzy and Joan Jett. I mean, that's yeah. pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. So I always kind of have that going on. And then um, and then there's just the thing that happens where you just you let go of whatever it is that you're influenced by and see what comes out. And I don't I have no idea. <laughs> well, the, the love is were real. It was a, you guys did a, a really good record. Wall to wall. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I did my research, but I didn't write down the title. I don't know how I remember that. It was a really good record. And I did write that there was uh, some songs like Last Attempt and Water Like a Creature. I really liked that record a lot. I remember that I was living in Boston at that time. Well, you actually you actually did move to Boston for a little while, right? Yeah, that was when I lived in Boston area. How long were you in Boston for? I think it was eight years. Wow. Yeah, I was in yeah. Lexington, Lexington, and then I was in uh, Concord for a while, but then I was in Boston. Yeah, I remember, I remember you, and I remember that time. I just didn't know how long you were there for. When, did you move to L.A. before you put out your first solo album, To a Star in the Yard, or was that when you were still in Boston? I was couch surfing that year that i recorded that album uh it was kind of a, a life-saving record for me it gave me something to focus on but i had just kind of broken up from a relationship and lost the house and the studio and everything and my friends were just making a safety net for me and i had the record to work on all the time just a laptop kind of thing and i would go into studios that had drums and just bring my my uh soundboard and uh set up mics and everything and record drums uh, you know when i was there because it's the only place i could do it <laughs> um, and that was in boston yeah and that was in boston uh you played yeah. everything on that record right yeah i did to the best of my ability for better or worse <laughs> that's incredible it was a definite departure from the lavas <laughs> you went in a completely different direction once again you're famous for that yeah i like the hairpin turn um yeah that was a lot more indie rock kind of wasn't it yeah 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 uh, so when did you decide to move to la because it seems like your story really changes heavily once you get out of boston which happened to me too. So I understand that, you know, I, I think I met you after I'd come back to Boston from LA, but I was there earlier, but then I went back again. When did you go? Uh, was it around 2010? Yeah, it was exactly 2010. Um, what made you yeah, do that? Was, to, oh, to move. So I had just recorded to a star in the yard and um, I was looking for, I finally was at the point where I was like, okay, I could finally get an apartment. The house is sold. And I just started looking around and the prospects. I was like imagining all these 
places that were just not very inspiring in the winter. And I was like, oh, I don't think I can do another winter here. And it was kind of whimsical. I was just like, yeah, maybe I'll just, I started looking further and further away. I was looking on Craigslist at the time. And I just started like putting in different zip codes and I was like, yeah, why not? I'll just pack it up and move to LA. Um, did you know someone out there that you went to stay with? Cause that's what I did when I went the first time I slept on a couch for a little while. Is that what you did or did you just wing it? No, I had no idea what I was getting into. I, um, well, I had a friend that I was recording with in California, but it wasn't anywhere near LA. It was like a different airport. Um, so I had been going back and forth to like write with, with him, but um I just got used to the flight and I was like, you know, I, I think I can do this now. Um, so I just, I found a job in an apartment and then got a flight and didn't talk to anybody for like a year because I didn't know anybody. <laughs> so it really you, took a long time to settle. Did you, did you go out there to find the job in the apartment and then come back or did you just do it through the internet or how did you do that? I did it through the internet. Wow. Um, and well, I had an interview. I flew out and had the interview. And then, yeah, I did. I, and I found a place. And then I, you know, I came back, packed up. And it was, it was cool. I'd never do that again. Where, where was <laughs> I'm your, glad I did it. But... <laughs> where, where was the first, where did you end up living when you first got there? Beachwood Canyon. Be really? Wow. Yeah, it was nice. Yeah, Beachwood cool. Drive I mean, is the... Really the road that goes yeah. right to the Hollywood sign, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. That was fun. I, I worked on um, um, Sunset and La Brea when I worked at AM Records, so I was really close, not too oh, far cool. from there at all. <laughs> but I lived in the valley yeah. and the beach. I never lived in Hollywood. I always lived either in the Studio City or or Santa Monica, Redondo Beach, Marina Del Rey, but I never lived in Hollywood, but I always worked there. The yeah, drive, the drive was a blast every day. I bet. <laughs> Where are you now? I'm in Massachusetts. I'm back here now. In I Boston, wish, though. Uh, in, no, I'm actually about an hour outside of Boston. I'm in Worcester County. I don't. I don't love it. Yep. Let's just put it that way. I was in California last May for a week. I stayed in the in L.A. and I went. I did everything out there. I loved it. I miss it. I want right. to go back there, but. I don't know. I don't know when that's going to happen. I, I should have never left. Actually, I love. I love L.A. I'm not one of those people that is from the East Coast that bashes L.A. I love L.A. Actually, that's but, nice to hear. Yeah. Did you stay yeah, in Hollywood for a long time? Are you still in Hollywood? No, I didn't. I um I was in Hollywood for a year, and then I moved to Laurel. Well, I guess I moved to Laurel Canyon, which is still Hollywood. And I was there for about a year and a half and then made my way east. Uh, I'm still in East L.A. Yeah, you end up moving a lot out there. I feel like I moved every other year when I lived there. You just move around. There's so much, so many places to go to. But you obviously like it because you've been there for over 10 years. Yeah, I really do like it. Um, I'm, I'm sick of moving, but it's a... Uh... You just can't really mess with the, the weather. It's once you've acclimatized to it, it's really hard to take anything else. <laughs> yeah. Now, in so between, it's like yeah, the driving. Mm -hmm. In between, like when you put to a star in the yard, and then when you put a okay, I might have missed something here because I have a little gap between that record and Left One in the Rain, the three song EP that you did in 2014. What were you doing during that period? Um, not too much. I was just kind of floundering. That was a rough time for me musically. I actually got evicted from one of my apartments because I was playing music. Um, I, I mean, it was just like acoustic guitar. It wasn't, I guess my, I, I had Audrey, you know, Audrey Ryan, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. Right. So Audrey was visiting and she had her accordion and we were jamming. And I guess I had just done one too many jams on <laughs> at whatever time. And I was like trying to gracefully say, hey, you know, I really understand. I'll 
so I ended up making peace with them, but I had to leave, even though it wasn't like a regular eviction. I was like, wow, this is happening to me. I like, I'm so responsible. So um, I gracefully left to that place. But um, I, I was mostly just kind of settling into LA and trying to start a business and just trying to survive, um, make ends meet for quite a few years. I didn't have any friends there. Um, or anything so I was kind of just building all that community but you were doing music on your own while you when you were alone yeah I, I never stopped playing or recording or writing or anything um, I, I wrote a lot of songs during that time I just wasn't performing and I wasn't putting any music out and then when you did finally do the EP uh, left one in the rain in 2014 that started like a a train of like you got pretty busy after that for the next few years um what was going on then were you doing gigs in LA or were you just recording and putting I was a... starting to yeah yeah I was starting to play out more just solo and then I started playing with um a, a pedal steel player who also played lap steel and mandolin and we were doing kind of an Americana sort of quirky Americana thing where I was doing I had a suitcase drum set that was like a kick and a snare. Uh, the snare was inside the suitcase, which I played with a pedal and also the, a kick that had a port that was mic'd. And then I had uh, triggers for electronics attached to it. So I had some like sampled triggers. It was kind of like electronica meets Americana. It was bizarro, but the pedal steel player, Char Charlie Peterson, was great. Um, we had a thing going for maybe eight years, and we were just doing a circuit of kind of like breweries and um, breweries and wineries and local bars. It was kind of hard work, though. Um, you know, kind of gigs where you play two sets. And I think I just kind of played it out, and I was ready to do something different. Uh the pedal steel is a wonderful instrument, but it's a little bit defining as far as the sound. It kind of keeps you in a country circuit as far as, you know, what you can do with it. So I just, I think over the pandemic, I took, it just was like everything that was meant to move on, cleared out, and then new things started popping up. Um, and also, since I started playing with Black Savage, there was just the overlap of that as well. So, um a lot of change happened then. I did check out Cowboy Summer and Dirt and Helicopters, and I which went back to more guitar. But the Cowboy Summer, you worked with a guy named Rob Torres. He was the engineer, I guess, on these, right? You got you were totally into like this alt country thing, and I was like, wow, that's what I mean about your styles changing. That knocked me for a loop. But those are really good uh, EPs that you put out there. For sure. I mean, I listened to it and I was like, wow. And then you did change because I wrote here that you went to a more guitar rock sound with uh, Durant and Helicopters. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, it came upon a Midnight Clear single. That was pretty <laughs> cool. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, that was just sort of an experimental home kind of thing. So was that around the time? So this must have been around the time where you where you hooked up with Black Savage because you said 2018, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Now, how did that, I was going to get, uh, I'm going to get, you know what, I'm going to hold off on that because I want to talk to you about, you have so many other solo things here that I want. In April 2020, Sirius, Lookout Mountain, these are songs that you recorded and played yourself. Once again, you went back, I'm going to do it myself. And you pretty much did everything yourself on those, right? Yeah. Yeah, those were pandemic projects. Uh, when I listen back to it now, I'm kind of like, yeah, I probably should have had somebody mix it for me, but whatever. <laughs> it kept me busy and made me happy. And um, no regrets, really. <laughs> we, I mean, L.A., from what I hear from my many friends out there, was a very difficult place to be during the pandemic. I mean, every every place was, but out there, it seemed like it might have been even more difficult. How do, Is this how you survived writing songs and playing? And it's how I always survive. The pandemic was kind of, for me, it was, it was kind of like, it wasn't that hard. I mean, I'm an introvert anyway. 
it was it was a rest period and um, a creative time for me. You're uh, living on the east side of LA during the pandemic. Yeah. Yeah. So it seemed like with your solo stuff, and from what I'm from what everything I listened to, it all seemed to come together with Goodnight Euphoria. I gotta tell you, I absolutely adore the song No Such Thing. I actually that's when I, I listened to that song probably about a year ago, I think it came out, something like that. And that's when I, you, were, you were on my radar again. And I'm like, okay, this is someone I want to get on my show eventually. I absolutely love that record. And that song is just, it's just magnificent. I have to tell you. Oh, thank you so much. Did, did you, do you feel like this record really got you a lot more attention? Yeah, I put a lot more into the promotion and, um, I started working with my longtime friend, Dave Druin. Do you know Dave? He's um, Cold Engines. I know yeah. the name, yes. Yeah, so we just have such a great collaboration. And I had met him back before I moved to L.A. And we started recording together, but we both just got busy or whatever. But we just had a great kind of like rapport and writing style together. Um, and then, so we reconnected when he had asked me to play, uh, to sing backing vocals on one of his songs. And I just did it remotely and sent it to him and it was super fun. Uh, and then I asked him to, to do a single with me and he was really excited. And so he produced my single, the ward that came out before the album and I was like, ah, you know what? I don't want to stop. Can we like do a record? And then it's been, we haven't been able to stop since then. <laughs> you recorded Goodnight Euphoria, Euphoria remotely. Uh, what was the process like? Uh, talk about the songs on the record a little bit and the whole recording process of how you did that. So Goodnight Euphoria, it started with the song The Ward. And I had written that uh pretty recently and we just did our first song as the, the system that we did right from the first song kind of is what we still do now and that was I sent a demo of just acoustic guitar and vocals which would be like a voice memo and then Dave would say like yeah arrangement sounds great or hey try this minor adjustment send him you know and then I would do my own uh, you know, on my own digital audio workstation, um, I would send a demo version that was like to a click. And then I would send just, you know, like a, a mix down of vocal and guitar. And then he would kind of build the song around that um, and then send it back to me um, for me to do final vocals on without without my vocal. And you recorded and, and your would, vocals? great. You recorded your vocals yourself at home? Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, I do my vocals myself, and then we send them to Tim Phillips, and he mixes everything beautifully and does the mastering, and he and Dave kind of ping-pong until it's right. Um, and then I just – it's, like, really a magical thing where I, I'm removed from all the kind of the, the details that I don't enjoy. <laughs> I love recording, but, like, some of the tedious stuff – it's just like a magical thing for me now. I just get to like show up and do the fun part. <laughs> now, do you, your songs, do you like write out of personal experience or do you like, are you one of those writers that you'll just start writing and you're not sure what you're writing about? I think when you write and you don't know what you're writing about, it's just allowing your subconscious mind to do it. Um, and it's gotten that way more and more. I'm never really conscious about what it, but it's very obvious what it's about once it's done. If I stop and think about like, oh, what is this song about and how do I shape it into it? Then it just does. I just, it doesn't usually work. Um, so I guess that means you don't write out of personal experience. You basically just let it happen. Usually what it works now is like, it is personal experience, but it might be somebody else's. Like mm. I might have a conversation with you, for example, and you might say something like you did. What was it? The band name that you said before? Oh, uh, uh, I said, uh, 
flightmare. Flightmare, for example. And everything is in a title. So like if you have a title, you can just kind of unpack it. And there's like a whole song in there. Wow, I, I hope I you write that... a song. I really do hope you do write a song about me. That would be awesome. You call I it Flightmare. <laughs> I will. I will. Um, you did some touring and and um on the on the Euphoria record, and you went to Mexico too, right? Yeah, just recently. Yeah, I brought um uh my keyboard player and a percussion player, and we just. Yeah, we just, it was like very close to, it was in a very, very deep into Mexico, Baja, California. Uh, oh, it's like, like a Baja. four and a half hour. Yeah, it was beautiful. It was like. Cabo? Um, was it in Cabo, San Lucas? No, it was near Ensenada kind of. Oh yeah, okay. Just n north of Ensenada. Nice. In the valley. Yeah. Do you go to Mexico yeah, a lot? Yeah, we'll no, not really. Um, it's it's like a big vacation spot for Californians, as you know. But um, I I will be back there. It's kind of like a, a regular thing. It's just really really great people, and I like what they're doing. They're kind of into rock music, and uh, so I love. Yeah, I've gone, I gone when I lived in L.A. I used to go down to Tijuana a lot, and then I went to uh, Puerto Vallarta, and uh, yeah, I've been uh, there too. I can't, you know what? I can't remember where else I've been, but I used to go down. I used to like going to Mexico. It was safe when I went down there. I never had any problems down there. Tijuana, yeah, you, nice. you would have to leave before it got dark out, but you know, you just buy all the cheap stuff and get the fuck out of town before, you know, the crazy stuff starts, you know? Um, yeah. Okay. Now you got some new stuff now and you're working on a new record and I read a quote of yours um, let me make sure I can read this right. Yeah, I read a quote of yours when asked if uh, "Break the Spell" falls into your mission statement, and I loved your response. You said one of the things I love about being an artist is that I never felt as though I've had to have a mission statement. I'm really whimsical. You used that word before. That's a good word, and I just follow the idea. So I mean, because "Break the Spell" is like. I've seen some of the reviews and people are comparing it to like, you know, Cindy Lauper, Madonna. It's like a whole different kind of like sound, but for you, not really, because you're all over the place. So what did you mean exactly when you meant that? Well, it's just a funny question because it's so businessy, like a mission statement, like, gosh, I, <laughs> you know, it's like such not an artist. Them. I did. I wasn't intentionally making fun of them. I just was sort of, it was just an odd, uh, it made me realize, oh yeah, I guess I don't have a mission statement. And uh, I don't know what the answer would have been if I had tried to force, you know, try to force the answer what my mission statement is. It's, I guess it's really just to try to make people feel something like art is supposed to do. Um, but it's really just as simple as like, I'm just putting one foot in front of the other. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm just making, making stuff that, that keeps me occupied. Yeah, I, lo I love your approach. I mean, you've got three singles that have come right out. I know that's the new thing now. Everyone is like, you know, let's put a bunch of singles out first and then put the record out. Do you like following that motto? that mold the, the way of doing things that way because it's all it's not like the old school way of doing things it's like the new way do you like this putting one single out every month to work your way up to an album that's a good question i'm not sure yet i so i really the thing is like i really when i finished goodnight euphoria i was really really happy with the album and i believed in it a lot and i hired a company to help me promote it and it was expensive and a friend of mine gifted me the promotion, which was so sweet, bless her heart. And they just dropped the ball massively. Like it just didn't, I could have done better myself. And so um, Dave and I were like, it's not going to happen with this record. We're going to do it ourselves. And so we've been doing it and um, it's actually, I'm enjoying doing it because it's fun to see the you know the stats go up as much as like I, you kind of care you kind of don't but I'm trying to get 
trying to wear that hat a little bit because when you've done something and you're happy about it, you want to see it do well. It's, you know, I don't just do this for the process. It's like, I actually want it to be heard. So um, trying to, trying to, you know, honor that and, and get it out there. You're not the only one that pays attention to the stats, by the way, we're all paying attention to the stats. (laughs) You mean like the followers? Yeah. Yeah, The followers on Spotify and all those kind of stats. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. How else can you do it? You know, I I, I love your perseverance. I've been around um, artists my whole life. I, I, I feel like you have to go with your gut and not consider whether people will like what you're doing or not as an artist. Uh, you have to do what you like. Do you agree with that? Because that's how I feel. But how do you feel about that? I think it's different for recorded music than maybe it's for performance. So you don't have to read the room when you're recording. The room comes to you. But when you're playing a show and you're doing your thing and making yourself happy, it doesn't always work. Like you you can come and bring your show and try to win everybody over, but sometimes you have to sort of like read people a little bit more. Um, and like, you know, if you're, if you end up at a place and there people are eating dinner, it's like, okay, well, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this part of what I have to offer instead of this part, you know? So. Yeah. I guess I was mostly talking about actually the writing and the, and the songs and things, but I totally understand what you're saying about the audience but in terms of the way you write, you just want to be happy with your material first and then bring it to the people. Is that a good assessment? <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's like something for everybody already. So what can you, there's nothing to, there's nothing to even follow anymore. There's no, by the time of trend, you know, if there's any kind of trend you're trying to follow, it's already gone by the time you even know it's there. Um, so, I mean, Real songs have always spoken to people, stuff that's authentic and really means a lot to you. Like if I feel something when I'm writing it, I'm like, oh, okay, well, this one I can probably keep or probably move, probably make it, make it go somewhere as far as like actually recording a full version of it. As a solo artist, you don't really have a manager or a booking agent or anything. You do it yourself pretty much. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned that you did hire a promo company and I can tell they didn't do the job that you hope they do. So you went out and got your reviews on, on these first three songs on your own, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a lot of work, huh? Yeah, it is. But you just kind of pick away with it, pick away at it. It's like, you know, if you have, a, I have sort of a, a, a daily flow of things I have to take care of and I save it I you know it's like the creative hours I kind of know where where they are when they are and then when I'm just tapped out and I don't have anything left there I'll do some business stuff and just do put out a few emails a day it's, it's not really that big of a deal are you um is are you doing hard copies on your new record like you're doing vinyl or or cd cassette yeah I've got I'm selling some packages of their like they have a a CD and a cassette in them as well as a poster and nine stickers, nine buttons, a patch and I think that's it. But yeah, you can get those on my Bandcamp. There it's a limited edition. I think there's a few left. Uh-oh. I'm gonna I got to hurry. <laughs> I think I did see that. That's why I was I was asking about that. So um, when yeah. the record comes out, what do you plan on doing as far as touring and that sort of thing? Are you going to try and get on? You mentioned to me, I think, in an email that you might be coming to the East Coast. Yeah, I'm working on an East Coast tour right now before the record comes out, leading up to it um, the last week in June. So I'm on tour with Black Savage. We're doing some Midwest dates. And we end in Pennsylvania. So um, I'm going to fly from Pennsylvania to Boston and do a few dates. Um, really? Do you have something yeah, scheduled? Um, I have one on the books now, but I don't have everything else confirmed. I have one confirmed in Medford on the 22nd at the porch. Oh, nice. Yeah, that place is happening these days. Cool. I'm yeah, going to have so to try and fun. make that. 
I'm going to have to try and come to that. Um, I want to talk to you about Black Savage a little bit because it's such an interesting project. Uh, and Angie's the drummer, right? Yeah. Yeah, she started this a long time ago, and it's been growing and growing. And then there were a couple of changes, and that's when you came in. How did you get on their radar? How'd you get on Angie's radar, I should say? I just inserted myself. <laughs> they um, they had, I think they had just um, parted ways with their singer and they were, they were like, yeah, they were debating whether or not to continue. And then they got Emily on board on guitar and uh, a, I think they had put up an Instagram ad and I didn't even know they existed, but one of my friends had sent me a link with sort of a ha ha emoji and she was like yeah you should do this and i was like hell yeah i should <laughs> and so i just sort of like did an acoustic i, I made a post uh, just a video of myself doing i think i was doing like an acoustic version of like a bluesy version of nib not even sabbathy at all and i tagged them in it and i said black savage i'm coming for you so arrogant wow. um <laughs> wow that's they, awesome i know but they messaged me and i was like oh and then i was like super nervous because they asked me to audition um and then it just that also sort of was how it started now did you have the whole are you a really big sabbath fan you must be i am a big sabbath fan i i found ozzy before it was my i did the back backwards route to sabbath because like i was an ozzy fan before sabbath and then, you know, listen to Sabbath more after I found Ozzy. And I was like, whoa, <laughs> so mind blown. Do they have like, does the band have a huge list of songs to choose from? And you have to know all the songs or is there a set set list? Is there a set list made up and you stick to the set list? How do you guys, I, I was curious about that. We have... We have a lot of songs now. I mean, we try to play different sets every night, you know, just as because people come to more than one show now, like they'll come to several shows that are driving distance. So we try to mix it up enough that they get a different show every night. So we have quite a, a large catalog, but we do the first six records for the most part, the Aussie era. Do you, do you have, uh, yeah, I was, I would, <laughs> I, I'm one of those people that likes the heaven and hell album, you know, and I get criticized for that sometimes because, oh, that's not really Sabbath, you know, that's like heaven and hell. But, you know, I'm, of course, the first bunch of Aussie records are great. I mean, do you have favorites? Yeah, probably um, volume four. Volume four. Yeah, nice. Master of Reality. I mean, we learned the whole record. We know both of those records in their entirety uh, because we didn't have anything to do over the pandemic. And that's kind of when we did our backyard sessions and we're like, let's just get this ready and have it in the pocket and ready to go so that we can come out of the gate with back-to-back -back records to tour on. Do you have my my questions in front of you? Because you know I'm going to ask about the lemon trees because when I watch those, <laughs> I watch and it. People out there listening or watching or whatever, you got to go and check out the Black Savage outdoor sessions, as you call them, when you're playing. Okay, we're, first of all, there's lemon. There's a lemon tree, or maybe more than one. <laughs> Whose lemon tree is that, and where are you? That is fascinating. When I saw it, I was like, "Because I, I, I love know. lemons," you know. <laughs> the circumstances are just—it's so bonkers that in the middle of LA, that I have a place that we could play in the backyard. Because That's your like place. Super... Yeah. <gasps> yeah. <sighs> So, so it's like at the busiest intersection in Boyle Heights and there's emergency vehicles everywhere. It's so loud anyway. Um, and there's one giant wall where there's a, it's kind of a plaza and a parking, you know, like a whole parking area and a plaza. So it has huge tall walls where, yeah. um, so that side of the sound is blocked and then like a private wall on the other side. Uh, so it's like a private fenced in backyard in the middle of a busy intersection. And the lemon tree is just like, 
the saving grace of my backyard <laughs> if you can even call it a backyard um it's just kind of like concrete jungle and a lemon tree <laughs> i can't believe that's your place i was like i love it i love it i would love to live somewhere and have a lemon tree in my yard i'm an iced tea and extra lemon guy you know and i love lemons do you eat a lot of lemons yeah i do i do the lemon every morning the hot water lemon that's why you're so healthy there you go yeah it's gotta be uh, it's gotta be it <laughs> uh you know i watched i watched those in the wizard i was thinking i wonder if she played harmonica before did you play harmonica before i don't play harmonica i just play the wizard <laughs> Well, you did a good job. You did a great job. Thank you. I love it. I've watched that video like several Thanks. times. My favorites of that, those and the California Jam, of course, that must have been great. I wanted to ask you about that. I mean, did, that was a great experience, I bet, huh? Yeah, that was my first show with Black Savage. It was? So, wow. Yeah, I had I auditioned and they're like, hey, great. Yeah, you want to play this thing? I'm like, uh... <laughs> so i didn't that was like a lot it was a pretty it was a crash course in sabbath um to learn all the lyrics and a couple a couple weeks time i didn't i had the lyrics taped to the stage uh it was windy and it was like the whole length of the stage i had it all taped out i was like i could have just asked them for a teleprompter but <laughs> i didn't know um and so i'm like just kneeling on the stage trying to read some lyrics for the songs i didn't know but um it was it was pretty exhilarating that was a huge show yeah that was that out in the desert yeah uh glen helen amphitheater i think i heard somewhere maybe i'm wrong that dave Grohl saw you guys and said something about yourself yeah 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 we uh we met dave um I think he knew some, known some of the band members and he personally asked us to play. Um, but yeah, they were there in the audience and digging our show, which was really nice. It's a long way from Burlington, Vermont, huh? Yeah, I was hoping they would do the festival again, but um, it hasn't happened. So. Wow. So, okay. I'll leave you with this one. So what's, what's next? I mean, I know you're probably going to keep like, you have a whole tour right now with Black Savage in Europe and America pretty much. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And yeah. then, then you're going to do your solo dates. Do you have, uh, is it going to be just a short little run in New England or do you, are you trying to do more than that? I'm not going to do any touring with uh, my solo. It's not even a solo act anymore. I have a couple different band setups. I have like an acoustic band setup. Uh, and then I also have a full electric. So I'm going to do definitely an album release show or maybe a few album release shows um, around LA or in California. But beyond that, it just becomes a little expensive for the types of guarantees that I can get at this point which is totally fine. I'm doing a lot of traveling uh, with Black Savage. And I also play with it in a band called All Souls. And I'm not sure if you knew about that. I was going to ask um, you about that. Yeah. And All Souls does a bit of touring. Um, we do, it's a kind of progressive metal desert rock um, band, kind of gothy. And I play guitar with them, super sweet people. And I'm really into the music as well. Um, and so, so we have a few, you know, a couple little tours as well. We have a Northern California tour in July, I believe. Yeah. Um, wow. So I'm kind of fitting in around that and really loving all the music in my life and all the different, it's just this dynamic, really fun life that I have and really enjoying it right now <laughs> yeah I, and i and you know I, I follow you on instagram and i love that your posts on instagram at the alice austin right yeah at mm -hmm. the alice austin <laughs> cool hey good luck i mean you're you're just you're, you. you're you're amazing you're you're absolutely amazing you're doing so many different things and you cut so many genres and i'm a, i'm a huge fan and thank you for coming on the show 
Thank you, Steve. I really appreciate how, what a deep dive you took into all the history and watching videos and knowing all the albums. It's, it's unusual. And um, it's really nice to have somebody who's like a true music fan and a uh, great interviewer. So I appreciate what you're doing as well. And um, I hope everybody gets on board with uh, blowing smoke. Thank you. But, you I'm know, excited. you're, a, you know, I say the same about you. You're a real musician and you've really put the time and the work in. And I really appreciate thank that. You. So that's why oh, you're thank here. You. Thank you. And good luck. Oh, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. And I will see you around. All right. Thank you. Austin, good night, Euphoria. I love the line about the smoky eyes. I I think I told Alice that. Um, Alice Austin is like the picture of perseverance, and that's how you got to be to make it and last in the music industry. It's a very difficult industry, and perseverance will get you very far. Did I just come up with a lyric there? I don't know. Uh, both No Sure Thing and Good Night Euphoria are on the album with the same name, Good Night Euphoria. Uh, you can get that on Bandcamp now, and I highly recommend that you do. And of course, Alice has a new record coming out this summer called Feel Too Much, 
feel too much. And you can hear some of that, some of the songs like Break the Spell now on Spotify and elsewhere. Uh, so happy that Alice did the show. I really dig her. She's totally cool. Um, if you're dig, speaking of digging, if you're digging this podcast, please check out our Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash Twisted Rico. There's some exclusive material there. Same thing if you're listening on Spotify, you can sign up, subscribe to get extra content, uh, which is only available uh, with a subscription. If you want to reach me for anything, twistedrico at gmail.com. We're also available on all the social media platforms. And I urge you to check out our YouTube page where you can hear the interview, or excuse me, you can watch the interview that Alice Austin and I just did. And it's a lot of fun. Check it out. Also, let me remind you that you can go to studio-float.com and use the code BLOWINGSMOKE10 in the online form for 10% off your order. Thank you so much for listening. Till the next time we say goodbye, this is Blowing Smoke with Twisted Rico. I'm your host, Steve Ricardo. Keep the rock and roll alive. Blowing Smoke with Twisted Rico is brought to you by Light Street Media. Never meant for normal